you will let us know that you're here, that you'll let us know that where you're worshiping from, and I want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening in the life of our ministry. First of all, I want to invite you back at uh, 4 p.m. today, again, virtually, for our Gypsy Jazz concert. That's uh, Glenn Basham and Friends, and that will also be via live stream and Facebook Live. Our clergy roundtable resumes this Wednesday at 5 p.m. We are discussing a really fantastic book entitled Forgive to Live, and you can order the book still and read along with us. I have to say, it's a, a relatively easy read, but I have found it really transformational. And so if you would like a book, they are available for $20, and that includes us shipping it to you. You can call Chelsea in the church office, or you can email books at naplesucc.org, and we're more than happy to get that to you. And so I hope that you will uh, join us for the Clergy Roundtable this Wednesday at 5, whether or not you are reading along with us. And then, of course, today, following worship, as has become our custom during this time, we will be hosting our virtual gathering place, a wonderful opportunity to connect with other members and to stay in touch during this time of social distancing. And so I hope that you will join us for that. Again, one of the unique opportunities that we have and perhaps challenges during this time is that receiving new members is uh, a little outside of our norm and a little outside of our custom, but we don't want to uh, prevent people who want to join our church and want to be a part of our church. And so it is a real privilege this morning, virtually, after our evening with your pastor this past Thursday evening, uh, or Wednesday evening, whenever it was, um, that again was a virtual experience, to introduce uh, these three new members to you. And the first is Nancy Rongis-Charney from Naples, Florida, and also has a home in Washington, D.C. It's also a privilege to welcome Reverend Daniel C. Lamb, uh, who lives here in Naples, and then Lauren Ewer, who lives here in Naples, and then in Ventnor City, New Jersey. And so these uh, new members join us in this journey of faith, and as we always talk about, it's a privilege to be a part of their faith journey, and we're grateful for all the places that have been a part of their faith journey up until now. And as is the custom of this congregation, I want to invite you to join with me in the reception of those new members, and you will see the liturgy there on the screen with you. Let us welcome these new members. We rejoice in recognizing you as members of Naples United Church of Christ. We celebrate the diversity of needs, ideas, and visions that God has created. As our faith journeys are united, we give thanks for our past and ask God's blessing on our church and its future. We promise to support one another in the common task of building here on earth the realm of God. Indeed, we are blessed to welcome these new members, and I look forward to when we are back together and you can receive them in person and get to know one another I think the most fascinating thing is that I know for certain that two of these three have actually never worshipped in person with us, 
but have been worshiping with us online. And one is already volunteering at the bargain box. And so we're so grateful for all the ways they're already engaging in ministry. Today is a very special day in the life of our church as we celebrate the 40th anniversary of the ordination of the Reverend Dr. David Kaiser Cross, our executive minister. It's also a bittersweet day because it is also the day that David is retiring. And so I'm going to invite you to sit back and get comfortable. Worship's going to go a little longer. I'm just going to tell you that now because there are some moments in which we need to celebrate. And I think it's vitally important that we do that as a church family. I have attempted to do as many things that I want to say to David in writing as leading up to this because I don't want to take time away from our lay leaders and from others. And so, David, thank you for your tremendous ministry. Thank you for your friendship. And uh, we'll continue to say words of gratitude throughout today. I do want to invite you at 3 p.m. today to uh, join in a car parade. David and Deb will be uh, under the portico and you can swing through the parking lot and you can come by, say hi, say thank you. You can honk. Please don't throw anything at him. He doesn't like that. But please come by and say thank you. And then I can also tell you there's going to be a great treat um, because one of the th many things that David and I share is a love of cookies. And so we have a great uh, sweet treat for you for those who come by. And I hope that you'll come by at three from three to four today uh, to say in person. But again, we'll have more words of gratitude later. Indeed, as an intergenerational congregation, let us center our hearts and minds for worship this morning. Let us join our hearts. Loving and gracious God, the God of certainty and the God of uncertainty, the God who leads through the desert and the God who takes us to the mountaintop, the God who can part the seas and the God who calms the storms. We gather from our various places of living this day. And many of us, if we are honest, we gather with anxieties and worries. We hear rumors. We are bombarded with images of discord and disunity, neighbor against neighbor, family against family, friend against friend. And we simply want to throw our hands in the air and ask where you are. And yet we gather for worship. We hear the assurance of scripture. We hear the beauty of music. We quiet our hearts. We quiet our minds. And then we are reminded that you have sent prophets and preachers, pastors and faithful ones through the years always to guide us back, to soothe our souls as the balm that rests in Gilead. You have sent leaders like Moses to remind us that our former ways are no more. And you send us prophets like Elijah, whose faithfulness endures through the ages. And so as we gather as a community this day, O oh God, 
perhaps anxious, perhaps hopeful, perhaps saddened by those who are impacted by pandemic, by the more than one million globally and the more than 200,000 nationally, by fears of disease, no matter what it is that weighs on our hearts, we gather, O God, knowing that you are the one in control. You are the one that we turn to. And it is in that confidence, in that assurance, that we have our grounding. And in that grounding, we are people of hope. And so we lift to you this day all of those who are lonely, all of those who are afraid, all of those who are sick, confused, uncertain. And we lift to you our nation's leaders that they may be safe. We lift to you those in harm's way. And we ask, O God, that you would give us the vision of how to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of peace, a beacon of reconciliation in this community and indeed into the world. We are grateful, O God, for your presence. And so continue to send the presence of your spirit as we are reminded of the prayer that Jesus taught us each time that we pray to remind us that you are never far from us. Morning, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. Special thanks to Bob and June for their kind and gracious words. You know, one of the great pleasures that I've had here at Naples United Church of Christ is that weekly New Chapters Company of Men who commit to reading certain books and then sharing their thoughts and musings with each other. Those of the ivory tower persuasion would call this practicing the art of spiritual exploration and discovery. Those of us on the ground floor would call it the blind leading the blind, with all of us trying to find the elephant in the room. Yet I think we all have found that our group to be a safe place where we can share some of our personal stories. So speaking of stories, when I was 18 and finishing my freshman year in college in San Diego, some of us who were living in the dormitories were approached about a summer job that promised both adventure and riches. All we had to do was to commit to selling children's Bible books door to door for 10 hours a day somewhere out there in the Midwest. The recruiter asked us, how many books do you think you could sell in 10 hours? Piece of cake, I thought to myself. 20, 30, right? My parents kind of cautioned against it, but I was convinced I could do it. I could be rich. So at the end of that spring semester, a few of us drove out to Nashville to the sales school where we learned the various sales techniques and also picked up a Tennessee accent that lasted all summer. When we received our assigned book sales region in Fairborn, Ohio, 
All I took with me was a small suitcase, a few dollars, and a new Christian faith that I had picked up a year before at a Billy Graham event. Well, the summer was truly an adventure, but in a word, it was also a financial disaster. I returned to San Diego utterly broke and defeated, and I carried a huge chip on my shoulder against this Christian God who had let me down and allowed my faith to fail. As I reflect back on that summer, it occurs to me that I didn't actually go out there trusting God. I went out there putting my faith in a sales manager and a slick presentation to a couple of naive college kids. I didn't even consult God in the process. I figured that Jesus would be there to back me up as I raked in the cash. Well, naturally, that didn't happen. Instead of thinking clearly about my own part and my own choices in the matter, I blamed God. Actually, the bitterness was real, and my deep emotional disappointment lasted for months. But finally, just before Christmas break, a former roommate knocked on my dorm room door, and we had a little chat. He listened to my rather pathetic story and offered me a new perspective. He reminded me that trust in Christ isn't a guarantee of anything, but a lifetime process of growth and learning. As a kind of spiritual metaphor, he shared that the spiritual life is kind of like the four seasons. There are normal periods of growth in spring and summer. And there are also seasons of dryness and deadness. He told me that those fall and winter times will always be a part of my life. It is during those times that a person's spiritual core, like the core of a tree, needs to become solid on the inside and strong enough to bear the new growth that is yet to come. He assured me that whatever success or failure Whatever joy or heartache, it is possible to trust God in the process because at the end of the day, the seasons belong to God, not to me. And yet I have to wonder, would that summer have been different if I had consulted God, if I had trusted God? Probably not, at least not financially, because I just don't have a sales personality. I'd rather give you the money in my wallet than to think I was taking food off your table so you could buy my set of children's books. Of course, the sweet sound of doors slamming in my face each day didn't work very well for me either. No surprise there. So I have been learning about trusting God for a few seasons now, and it really is an ongoing process. After more than 40 years in ministry, one thing I know for sure is that trusting God is something that we each have to discover and put into practice on our own because it is based on experience, not on theology, not on theory. So if it's all right, let me pause for a minute to talk about this word that we call trust. 
In the English language, we use three different words to describe our approach to God. One word is faith. When I was a child, faith was my acceptance of what the adults were telling me about God. So it was more about my faith in authority than it was about faith in God. Another word is belief. As I began to grow up, belief was my conviction that what I had been told about God was true. And frankly, I was hoping that most of it wasn't true. But the third word is trust. When it comes to a relationship with God, trust has very little to do with what you have told me or what sounds true or not. Trust is based on experience, typically a repeated experience that affirms that somehow in a way that can't always be explained, trust in God works. As children, some of us were taught about God by various authority figures. Some of us were taught about an angry and punishing God. They said, have faith, believe in this God. But can someone really trust such a God at the end of the day? I think about the evolution of my own trust in God. It began for me one night when I was about 15 years old and I cried out to a God I did not know. I begged this God to help my grandmother who had been run over by a car in Chicago. A couple of years later on, this continued as I took a risk to try something that seemed to be working for some classmates, friends who suggested that maybe, just maybe, God is love. I decided to accept what they were telling me and a certain kind of hope was born. After a short time, various moments of evidence began to roll in, not from books or sermons, but from experience. Early on in my faith, I began to learn from and identify with the experience of some of the characters that I read about in the scriptures. And as I read the lessons in the lectionary for today, I wondered if there was any theme they had in common. So there was the story of Moses and the Israelites who were worshiping the golden calf. And there was kind of a strange passage from the prophet Isaiah. And then there was a gospel parable about some foolish wedding guests. And finally, a few positive encouragements from the apostle Paul to the church folks in Philippi. Well, nothing really seemed to make a connection between all of these until I got to the psalm for the day. Psalm 23, the psalm of the good shepherd, which Deb just read for us. For me, the psalm is not so much about the good shepherd as it is about the experience of the sheep. It is about the trust that the sheep place in the good shepherd. So whether the path is rocky or lush, whether there is water or not, whether there is danger or security, the message is simple. 
trust the shepherd. There will be times of refreshing streams. There will be times down in the valley of the shadow of death. Still, trust the shepherd. So I'm convinced the central theme of the Bible is about recognizing and trusting God and also about what happens when we don't. That summer on the book field, I learned how my faith can fail. But God had more for me to learn. Before my former roommate left my dorm room after offering his words of wisdom, I asked him, so when? When can I begin to trust God again? And how can I trust God if something bad happens again? And and frankly, why should anybody trust God? I mean, wouldn't we be better off just living life on our own terms? The best time to begin to trust God, he said, is at the beginning of each day. Because today is the only day that you have. You might not be given tomorrow. So as you roll out of your luxurious dormitory bed and put your feet on that cold tile floor, start with gratitude and the intention to be kind to others, to be awake and alert to the life you have been given. Trust God with each moment. The evidence will follow. And then he pointed out the unpleasant truth that bad things will happen. Someone said that when God closes one door, God always opens another. But guess what? In the meantime, it's hell in the hallway. So the way you trust God when something bad happens and you're stuck in that hallway is through acceptance and action. Acceptance means that that you recognize the realities of life without denying the pain. And action means doing something positive with it, even if it simply means taking it to God in prayer. Before closing the door, he offered one more thought. Because I had suggested that maybe it would be better if I had just lived life on my own terms. No, he said. Life is never only on your own terms. We are all connected one way or the other, especially as Christians in the body of Christ. The consequences of life on your own terms can be a life of great loneliness. You don't want to go there. But by trusting God and helping others, you can transform the day with an energy that comes as a gift from the Holy Spirit. Well, my story began with a resentment that I had against God for allowing my faith to fail out there on the book field. I'm so glad that happened because when my faith failed, I began to learn that the real life lesson is about trust and why trusting Jesus is far superior than me trying to live life on my own terms. And over time, even with some major rebellious episodes on my part along the way, the outcome of trusting God has been some 
pretty important transformation, a lot more peace, and a day-by-day sobriety. So today begins a new chapter for me to see what God will do in the years to come. It is also a continuation of a new chapter in the life of this church, indeed in the life of the church universal. We face not only a world of pandemic, but a world of pandemonium. And yet we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sober wisdom to see what happens as we trust God. May that be your experience and your evidence. Go in peace. Amen.